In this podcast, I'm going to go over a method of stabilization analysis and stabilization strategy with an emphasis on the I and dime. As always, please use what we know of past lessons from understanding foundational narratives to the presence or influence of other actors in regional and great power competitions to intelligence to population analysis best practices. At the end of the lesson, you will have exercised your way through one case study from end to end. What you are left with when you leave NDU, when you finish IWS, is one way to conduct population analysis in unstable areas the world over, from Grozny to Juarez, from ISIS-infested ports of Mozambique to the Lake Chad areas in Western Africa, from Sangin to Aleppo to the tribal areas of northern Yemen, all areas with instability or crime or insurgency or economic wasteland and all areas that have also become battlegrounds in great power competition or at least regional power competition. The method we will speak about comes from the Horn of Africa 15 years ago, then brought to other areas of Africa as well as Southwest Asia. It's been used by USAID by MISO teams, by civil affairs teams, by um, IO professionals, as well as implementing partners. It has gone by many names from the district stability framework, which was a misnomer at the time, as its original iteration uh, looked at most of a continent, not just a district. Then it became the stabilization analysis methodology and a dozen more names after that. This framework will take us from needs to grievances, to priority grievances, to sources of instability, to systemic causes of instability. This one framework can also be applied to your units, to your agencies, offices, services, teams, uh, even to your neighborhoods to help figure out where the fissures are, where the weak points might be. It's also taught at MBA programs for this purpose. Like any framework, there are weaknesses and strengths some weaknesses are obvious, others more subtle. Uh, and like all frameworks, it tends to simplify things without losing nuance. But of course, it does lose nuance, as with all things we try to streamline. Like all frameworks, it should be considered critically, applied only when appropriate, and importantly, applied along with other viewpoints and frameworks. So I'm going to go over some definitions first. Then I'm going to discuss sources of instability conflict mitigation, provide a little mini case study. It's not the same case study we're going to be doing in plenary. So first, defining stabilization. To understand what stabilization is, it's important to understand what stabilization is not and what it gets confused with often. So if you think about a line, a double-headed arrow, if you will, going left and going right, on the very far left, we have during emergencies what we would call humanitarian aid. In the middle, sort of the middling gray area, we have a transitional or unstable time when we want to provide stabilization assistance. In the very far right, where we have something, an area that is stable, and we're looking to the long term, that's where we have development assistance. Okay, so humanitarian assistance on the very far left, we're talking about short term, and it's needs-based. Basic survival needs. What do you need so you will not die this week? Food, water, shelter after a natural disaster, 
uh, after during a wartime, during a famine, for example. Um, and then on the very far right side, it's also needs-based, but we're looking at the long term. And when I say needs-based, we're talking about improving quality of life. You're improving healthcare systems and education systems, for example, that already exist to improve people's livelihoods. So, stabilization assistance is a completely different animal. Okay? It is not needs-based, which sounds very cruel at first, but I'll explain it in a second. But importantly, you cannot conduct economic development in an unstable area. So stabilization assistance needs to occur before economic development. If you conduct economic development in an area that's unstable, it's like building a house on quicksand. In fact, USAID Office of Transition Initiatives feels that we should separate stabilization and economic development to the point where, at least for education purposes, for training purposes, they've added a fourth entity phenomenon on this uh, double-headed arrow, this line going from humanitarian aid on the left and economic development on the right. And that is they have a thing called transition between stabilization assistance and economic development. And so this is about uh, institution building, whether it's political, economic, or judicial. Stabilization can apply to a number of scenarios. Oftentimes we think about insurgency and guerrilla warfare. We think about uh, uh, perhaps partisan warfare, and that's when stabilization needs to be applied, but can also be applied to a sudden economic collapse or perhaps the death of a key leader in some areas. So one of the things I'm going to be asking you in plenary is what is stability? And there's many working definitions of what stability is within the stabilization, economic development, humanitarian aid communities, which are very large throughout the world. Um, one idea is that perhaps it's a quote-unquote normal functioning of government, society, adherence to laws, level of violence. Something else to think about is perhaps it is whatever a community believes is stable. So it's really in the, in the eyes of the people in the area that live in a stable or unstable area. Uh, or perhaps it is society's ability or confidence to address its own problems. Okay, these ideas are wrought with a number of sort of fallacies and misunderstandings. And so this is something, this is a question I'm going to put forth to everyone in the class. And I really want to hear your experiences, your insights. Um, and this is a class, a plenary, where I very much want to hear your war stories. I think it's going to help uh, our overall education very much. Something else about stabilization and understanding what stabilization is, is we have to overcome some of our misassumptions. So some of misassumptions uh, that we're going to discuss in plenary. So I'm going to put forth and I'm going to, I want you guys to generate examples for and against these, uh, these misassumptions. One is that poverty breeds instability. Okay. I mean, certainly it can happen. It does happen. Uh, if you're in southern Kenya, if you're in the east coast of uh, Kenya as well, in the beach areas, there are people that join Al-Shabaab for money because they are so, um, they don't have anything. They're strapped for cash. But of course, some of the most impoverished areas of the world are incredibly stable. Um, so it's not necessary 
that poverty breeds instability. But we're going to open this up for discussion. The rest of the misassumptions I'll go through pretty quickly. More jobs equals fewer insurgents if there's an insurgent-infested area. Reconstruction and modernization leads to stability. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Depends on the case, depends on the time, depends on the area. And finally, extending the reach of the central government breeds stability. So these are common misassumptions that we assume that, I shouldn't say we, but many governments have assumed applies around the world. This is a universal thing, that growing a central government will breed stability. I would say that this is a misassumption because that's not necessarily always the truth. That's not necessarily always the case. Dr. Andrew Wilder of Tufts University takes an extreme view, maybe overplays his hand a little bit, but, um, and I quote here, we have found no evidence that aid projects are winning hearts and minds, reducing conflict and violence, or having other significant counterinsurgency benefits. Our research shows instead of winning hearts and minds, in many cases, aid is contributing to conflict and instability. That's certainly not always the case, but it can be the case. And he makes, I think, a pretty strong case in a number of articles that he's written. Okay, so let's go into analyzing, uncovering sources of instability. This is the methodology that we are going to apply to our small group discussions that will be breaking off a plenary so I want you to think of four circles inside each other. So a big circle, slightly less big, slightly less big, slightly less big. Okay. So in the very outer circle, okay, and everything that's inside that circle, you have your needs. Okay. So the most outer layer is the needs. And this is a litany of things. This could be food and water and shelter. It, sometimes if you ask people what they need, they'll also kind of throw in some of their wants as well. Then within this circle, so the, the second larger circle, or the second uh, the circle that's light, slightly smaller than the larger circle, we have our priority grievances. Priority grievances are an answer to the following question. What is the most important problem facing your area? So this could be district or province, this could be country, or this could be a region, this could even be a continent. So what you're forcing the person to answer if you were to get the truth out of them, the local person that is, is you're forcing them to first of all prioritize needs or prioritize grievances. So they're saying what's the most important thing that's facing your area. But you're also forcing them to think about society and to think about the area writ large. You're not asking them what's the most important problem facing you or your family, which it could be that maybe that household has been stricken by disease, it could be a number of issues. Instead, you're saying, what's the most important problem facing the area? So those are priority grievances. So you'll get a list of priority grievances. And I'll give a little case study at the end of the podcast here. Within priority grievances, we have a special kind of priority grievance. So priority grievances are a special kind of need. And within priority grievances, we have sources of instability. A source of instability is a special kind of priority grievance. It's a priority grievance that meets three instability criteria. It's a priority grievance that, first of all, undermines support for governance. Now, I want to unpack that a little bit. I didn't say undermines governance. I said undermines support for governance. What's important 
is people's perception and people's how they see the legitimacy of any governance system. So it's not undermining the governance, it's undermining people's support for governance. The other thing to unpack here is the ants of the governments. governance. I'm not talking about just a formal government. So, an example, if you live in a village in Chad, in a rural area, it's likely at any given point in time, you will have a number of overlapping governance entities, which include a legitimate formal government, but also perhaps legitimate, informal, traditional governance systems. You may have a village elder, you may have a tribal elder, you may have a religious elder. You may also have in your village a representative from the national government, maybe a representative from a ministry that comes from time to time. Then you might have a district governor. Then you might have a provincial governor. Then you might have a central government that reaches out sometimes when it has to, when it can, to help out. And then you might have perhaps international cooperatives, perhaps the African Union has sent some folks to help out. Or perhaps NATO, as a to partner with Chad, um, they have sent maybe some folks to help out or to conduct maybe a cooperative mission of some sort or a training mission of some sort, but their very presence there provides, if you will, it's kind of a long reach of an international governance organization. And so all of these together at any given point in time affects that villager living in that village in Chad. So governance is the marriage of numerous institutions that overlap. Okay, so undermine support for governance. That's the first instability criteria. The second one is increase support for destabilizing actors. Okay, now the idea of what is a destabilizing actor is wrought with a number of fallacies and biases, politics, and this is something that we'll talk about in plenary if you want to. Bottom line is, again, you're not increasing or, or strengthening destabilizing actors. It's that this phenomenon, this priority grievance, it increases support for destabilizing actors. So out of the arms of legitimate governance and into the arms of destabilizing actors. And the final and third and final criteria is weakening societal capacity. Societal capacity is a fancy way of saying the ability of people to do for themselves. So again, instability criteria, one, undermine support for governance, two, increase support for destabilizing actors, and three, weaken societal capacity. That's important because those are three things that you are going to be doing in our small group discussions and exercises with a not quite so fictional case study. But we're not done yet. So we have needs, big circle, and slightly smaller circle inside. We have priority grievances, which are special kinds of needs. Then we have sources of instability, which are priority, special kinds of priority needs that meet the three instability criteria. But there's one inner circle left, and that is what is often called in the stabilization and development communities the systemic cause of instability. 
So what's the systemic cause of instability? It's answering the following question. Why are communities unable to address this problem on their own? Once again, why are communities not able to address this problem on their own? So this is a question asked about a source of instability. So you've gone through your analysis from needs to priority grievances to a source of instability. You have, in fact, found a priority grievance that is a source of instability. Then you want to ask this last question. The idea is that many communities, many areas of the world, they've been functioning properly, sometimes for centuries, sometimes for millennia. So something has happened. There's a roadblock. There is an obstruction. There's something that's keeping them from taking care of their own communities. So it could be a political situation, a security situation, could be lack of access to potable water. There's a number of things that it could be. So the idea here is that if you conduct activities to address systemic causes of instability, for each source of instability, there's usually numerous systemic causes of instability, somewhere between 5 and 12. So you address enough systemic causes of instability, you mitigate the sources of instability. You mitigate enough sources of instability, then you improve overall stability, and people are happier. And when you are designing activities, stabilization activities, you want to use a comprehensive approach. So you want to look beyond whole of government and beyond a whole of nation approach. You want to bring in for your planning teams and your execution teams, or at least consider and talk to uh, those both in the military and the civilian service in the government, other coalition governments, of course the host nation governments, intergovernment organizations, non-governmental organizations, multinational partners, uh, and importantly, private sector entities. This is to share information, to analyze the area, to identify and prioritize sources of instability, to design st stability activities, and to measure effectiveness of those activities and how you're going to measure that effectiveness. But mostly, it's about covering down and deconflicting. You don't want to suddenly, if you find yourself in a unit in an area, let's say in West Africa, and you realize that access to potable water is a major issue, that people don't have access to potable water. So you institute a bunch of programs that provide water, that dig wells, etc. If there's already a French nonprofit that is doing this and has been there for years and has suddenly focused all their effort on providing water for people, for citizens, citizens, for civilians, you probably want to deconflict with them and focus on something else. You don't want to do the same thing that everyone's doing and you want to make sure that you don't have a big blind spot. Maybe if education is a major source of instability, maybe that's something that you can start helping out with. And really this is best done through what we call a stability working group. Okay, informally or formally, you want as big a table as reasonable as possible. Okay, so quickly as a case study. So, I'm going to forget needs for a second because that's a whole uh, can of worms. That's, that's kind of a rabbit hole to go into. Because again, if you ask someone what they need, you're going to get a litany of things and they might include their wants. Especially if you're going to ask me, as Howard, if you're going to ask me what my needs are, I might throw in there, hey, I want a boat in the Potomac to, uh, um, you know, for, to enjoy my, my summer August days in D.C. Um, but you're going to have a lot of things that 
people might consider as needs. So I'm going to start right at priority grievances. So let's say you go to an area and let's say somehow magically you get the truth out of the question of what is the most important problem facing your area. So when I say the truth, what I mean is that just asking people that question, um, people might believe that uh, you have something to give. They might give you an answer that you, they think that you want to hear. There's all sorts of things uh, that we can unpack from last year on why you might not get to the truth uh, with an answer to that question. But let's say we find through analysis, through a number of polls and surveys, talking to regional experts, talking to linguistic experts, talking to area experts, that we actually find out what is the most important problem facing an area. Okay, And let's say we have in about equal number, um, and I'm using this case study as let's say it's a province or what they call a governorate in Yemen. So the answers might be lack of access to water, tribal leader deaths at the hands of violent extremists. So we're talking about the Houthis, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, for example. Overall insecurity, lack of electricity, and there's not enough schools. So those are five priority grievances. So you've asked this question, and you have a good portion of the population answering uh, one of these five things. Because, of course, you're asking for what is the most important problem, what's the one most important problem facing your area. So you get five answers from the population writ large. So let's take the first one, lack of access to water. Now, as a priority grievance, you want to put it through that instability criteria to see if it is a source of instability. So let's say you find that it is a source of instability, that in fact you put it through the criteria and you believe that yes, it does undermine support for governance, that people are looking to their perhaps tribal governance systems and perhaps they're looking to their governors for access to potable water. Maybe this is something that people have counted on for millennia. Then you put it through the second instability criteria. It does increase support for destabilizing actors. So maybe violent extremists are, and this does happen in Yemen, providing trucks of water from Sana'a, from the Sana'a uh, water basin, out to your outerlying rural tribal area on a daily basis. So you are running away from legitimate governance systems into the hands of destabilizing actors because they are offering something your governance systems cannot. And then you want to answer the question, does this weaken societal capacity? You decide, yes, it does. People are unable to function for themselves. People are unable to address their own issues. They can't, for some reason, get their own water in their own way. They are dependent and they are indebted to violent extremists because of this. <clears throat> The last thing, we so now we've taken the priority grievance of lack of access to water. We've taken it through the instability criteria. The last step is we want to find out what are the underlining reasons for that source of instability. In other words, what is the systemic cause of instability? So we ask ourselves, why are communities not able to address this problem on their own? And so for this one source of instability, which is a special kind of priority grievance, we might get five answers. And perhaps they're a little bit overlapping to some degree, and that's fine. So when we ask the question, why are communities not able to address this problem on their own? 
and the source of instability is lack of access to water, we might find there's insecurity of roads. This disallows citizens to travel to Sana'a to, re to rent or use water trucks. Also, with insecurity of roads, it disallows aid groups to access tribal areas. And so perhaps this area has been dependent on certain humanitarian aid groups uh, in the past few decades, even before the Civil War, or the latest Civil War. It could be another systemic cause of instability, the third out of five I'll describe, is violent extremist organization growth of cot in the area. Cot is a narcotic that takes up incredible amounts of water to grow. Fourth, there have been killed, executed tribal elders who had knowledge of well systems. And fifth, there's a lack of general knowledge to access underground water systems. So, what have we done here? We went out and did some surveys, some polls, we did some analysis, and we uncovered five priority grievances. What's the most important problem facing your area? If you got truthful answers from everybody, and you ran the numbers, and you found that there were five major issues. We took the first one, lack of access to water, and we put it through the instability criteria. The instability criteria, we want to consider three phenomenon. Does it decrease support for legitimate governance? Does it increase support for destabilizing actors? And does it weaken societal capacity? The final step is taking it through our analysis of, is it a systemic cause of instability? By answering the question, why are communities not able to address this problem on their own? And from that one source of instability, we found five systemic causes of instability. And in theory, and I want to emphasize this, in theory, you address the systemic causes of instability, then you mitigate the source of instability. You mitigate enough sources of instability, you raise the overall level of stability in the area. Thank you very much. I'll see you in plenary.